If you could just hit the lights, please. All right. Well, good morning, church. My name is Paul, one of the pastors here at New Life Prez, and it is my honor and privilege to bring to you God's good news, the gospel to you this morning. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series on the book of Philippians titled, as Elder Tom just prayed for us, Joy in the Journey. And we come to one of the most well-known passages of Paul's entire letter of Philippians, if not the entire collection of Paul's letters of the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be reading from verses 2 through 11. And please, if you're able, let's stand as an act of worship in reverence to our God as we read God's holy and most perfect uh, word for us here this morning. This is God's word for you here, church. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. Please take your seats. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask that now you would open up our hearts and the ears of our hearts to hear and to see the wonderful truth that you have for us here in this passage. Lord, would you convict us where it hurts, but also encourage us and cover us with your grace and love. We thank you and pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. A couple months ago, I spoke at a guest, or I guest spoke at a youth group for a prayer night, revival night on a Friday evening. And the main question that I posed upon the students was, what is the gospel? And I had them take their phones out, and they're so happy to take their phones out. I said, open up your notes app. And the first thing, first phrase, first words that come to your mind, write it down. So I asked, what is the gospel? Here were some of the answers. Good news. God loves me. Believe in Jesus and go to heaven. Love God. And my favorite Go to church. And I wonder if I asked all of you not to take your phones out, but just to answer in your mind the same question, what is the gospel? And we display it on the screens behind me. I wonder what kind of answers that we'll get. Because, friends, there is only one gospel, only one good news, but I wonder how many versions and variations of this good news that we're going to get if you answer the question, what is the gospel? Because you see, we've been talking about joy, right? Joy in the journey, joy in the ups and downs of your life, joy in peace and chaos at home, at work, within your hearts, 
And I want to make a case this morning with you. I want to convince you and persuade you that the only way you can have joy, lasting joy, constant joy, both in the mountaintops of your life, but you get in the rock bottoms and the valleys of your life, is if you are crystal clear on what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus Christ means for you. And I know that many of you may be thinking, especially in the service, Paul, I know what the gospel is. I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. And it's probably true. But as we'll see in our passage today, church, as we journey through our lives on this side of glory, our natural tendency, our sinful tendency, is to murk, to distort this good news that you and I have, that we first heard and first believed, and then we find ourselves lacking the joy that was promised to you when you heard the good news. It's hard to have joy when you or your loved ones are diagnosed with an illness or cancer or have passed. It's hard to have joy when you keep sinning the same sins over and over again for the past five, ten years. It's hard to have joy when you and your spouse or your kids are always bickering and fighting and there's so much tension in the household. It's hard to even get out of bed and crawl to church because of everything that your life is throwing at you this morning. And our passage here today is one of the clearest, the most personal examples or ex- explanations of the gospel that the Apostle Paul gives to you. And he's saying that the gospel, this good news, is the only source of joy that can weather the storms of your life, the only source of joy that exists even in your rock bottoms, the only source of joy that does not depend on what else, whatever else is going on in your life and that does not have an expiration date. So three simple points this morning for us. First, what the gospel is not. Secondly, what the gospel is about. And lastly, what the gospel means for you. What the gospel is not, what it's about, and what it means for you today on July 2023. So first point, what the gospel is not. Would you read with me verse 2 once again? Paul says this. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And last week, if you're with us, Pastor Andrew led us through a difficult passage, but he did more than I could ever imagine. Gospel humility on this example of Timothy and, I can't even say this guy's name, Epaphroditus at the end of chapter 2. And now, after giving these two good examples of what gospel looks like, he's giving us an example, a bad example of what it shouldn't look like. These dogs, these evildoers, these, these mutilators of the flesh, namely the Judaizers. You see, during the time that Paul was writing this letter of Philippians, there was this religious group called the Judaizers. And these people were those in the church, believers, that strongly advocated for circumcision and keeping this Old Testament Mosaic law as a prereq for your salvation. In other words, the gospel that these Judaizers taught was Jesus plus circumcision and works and obedience equals your salvation. For them, it was what Jesus has accomplished on the cross plus what they can bring, what they can contribute. Namely, their circumcision and obedience equals their eternal salvation. And this false gospel, it disgusted Paul so much enough to the point where he calls them dogs. 
And I have two dogs, a seven-year-old boxer, Emma, and a one-year-old golden retriever, Ollie. And they are cute. They sleep in the same room, not on our beds, but on the beds that they have on the floor. And my puppy is so spoiled because of my wife. He gets probiotics every meal. I don't even take those. But they are definitely a joy to be around. They're cute. I'm sure there are a lot of dog lovers and dog owners here in this room today. But back in those days of Paul and the Philippians, dogs weren't pets. They were out on the street scavenging scraps, trash, leftovers, and even eating dead bodies on the street. And especially in the New Testament, dogs symbolize those who were unworthy to receive anything holy, as Jesus says in Matthew 7. Nothing like my puppy. And Paul calls these Judaizers also evildoers, which is ironic because these people were claiming that they were doers of the good things, that they were doers of the law. But Paul is saying, no, no, you are not doers of good. You're evildoers. And then he compares their belief in imposing circumcision to be saved, same as the mutilation practices practiced by pagans who self-harmed, who slashed their bodies out of their obedience and dedication to their gods. So here Paul is warning the church of Philippi to watch out, to watch out for these Judaizers who say they believe in Jesus, but they also teach you must be circumcised. You must obey the Mosaic law in order to be saved, to look out for these dogs, for these who mutilate the flesh, for these evildoers who ultimately puts their confidence in the flesh, as it repeats three times in our passage this morning. In other words, Paul is saying the gospel of Jesus is not Jesus plus anything that you and I have to offer. To put it in 2023 context for you this morning, the gospel church is not Jesus plus your pedigree or your prestige or your performance or your power. The gospel is not Jesus on the cross for my sins plus how many ministries I'm serving here in your life press. The gospel is not Jesus plus my Sunday attendance. The gospel is not Jesus plus my tithes and offering. The gospel is not my family, my bank account, my godliness, my humility, my theology, and Jesus. The reason why the gospel, the good news, cannot be Jesus plus anything that you have to offer or contribute is because it stops being exactly that the moment you start performing, the moment you start contributing and adding to what Jesus has done. Because what if you're in a season of financial insecurity and your tithes and offering goes down? You start to wonder, will God love me even today? Or what if you're in such a busy season of your life and you need to just step down from serving in the church, you need a break, you need to just receive, and you start to wonder, will God continue to provide and love me the same? Or what if you just feel farther away from God and you're just tired and you're burnt out from this whole Christianity and church stuff and you start to question, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? You see, it's a life full of worries, doubts, anxiety, and that's not what the gospel offers because then salvation no longer becomes about what Jesus has accomplished and given to you freely, it becomes what you can earn but also what you can lose. As my seminary professor, Dennis Johnson, wrote in his new commentary, he says, it's so easy to take pride in personal achievements or qualities that set us a step or two above others. We might hide that pride behind the facade of humble self-deprecation, but amidst feats of accomplishments, 
and fearful insecurities in the secret recesses of our hearts, we seek solace in the flesh, in what our hands have done to reassure us of peace with God. So sisters and brothers, if you're honest with your hearts this morning, are you more like these Judaizers than you think? Yes, you love Jesus. That's why you're here. You love what he's accomplished for you already on the cross. We just sang about his mercies. But what subtle confidence in the flesh. What subtle supplements, what subtle performance and achievements do you try to add on to the gospel to make sure that you're saved, that you're loved, that you're accepted? Whatever that may be, church, you cannot add to the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is not Jesus plus circumcision and your works. Jesus plus anything. Which brings us to our second point, and what the gospel is really about. Would you turn with me to verse 4? And Paul says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You know, I started my call to the ministry fairly early in my life at 19. So if you take a look at my resume now or my LinkedIn profile, there's absolutely nothing except for new life and some part-time jobs. So if God calls me elsewhere, maybe in trouble, I've got some work to do for my resume. See, resumes are important. It's a statement that screams, I'm qualified. It's a statement of what you've accomplished. It's a file that cries out, I'm the one you want. I'm the one that can get the job done. And for these Judaizers, if your resume didn't have circumcision and obedience of the Mosaic law on it, you're at the bottom of the list when you're applying for heaven and eternal life. So Paul, he takes it a step further. He does this often in his letters, actually. He takes it a step further, and he goes to the Judaizers, and he says, you know what? If you want to play your game, let's play your game. I'm going to beat you to you. And he compares his resumes, and starting in verse 5, he gives us his LinkedIn profile. He was circumcised on the eighth day of his birth, meaning that he was born into a family where the regulations of the Old Testament law was strictly kept. And compared to the Judaizers who weren't born into this family and had to get circumcised as an adult, Paul's saying, I beat you. Paul says, I was of the people of Israel, meaning he was again of the pure, true descendant of the great Old Testament patriarchs like Abraham who started this circumcision tradition. And then he says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin who in the Old Testament was the last special son of Jacob and Rachel whom King Saul, the very first king of Israel, came out of. Paul's saying, I'm of royal line. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning that he was brought up speaking Hebrew, taught under this rabbi Gamaliel, who was a professor of all professors of the Jewish law. And he says, I was a Pharisee. In 2023, none of us want to be heard as a Pharisee. But back in those days, Pharisees were, they were greatly respected and deeply committed religious leaders who kept a long, list of purity laws beyond the Ten Commandments. And he says, I was a persecutor of the church to show how much more passionate and zeal he had compared to these Judaizers. And last but not least, he says, blameless under the law. Not saying that he was perfect, but saying he's kept up with all the purification, removing of guilt, laws, and process of the Old Testament, that if you were to look at the law and look at him, he's almost perfect. He's done it all. 
You see, Paul had every right to boast in his credentials, in his family line, in his religious zeal and passion, in his godliness, in his doctrine. He had every reason to put his confidence in the flesh, even to the point where these Judaizers would probably recruit him to their side. But what Paul says next would have shocked and even surprised these people. Look with me in verse 7 through 8. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that may gain Christ. But, Paul says, despite my resume, despite my LinkedIn profile, despite Paul's prestige, family line, resume, accomplishments, to stand out as the most religious, most holy, most dedicated, most pure, he says, I've counted everything as loss. Not only as loss, Paul uses this Greek word that I'll never forget that I studied in seminary, skubala. Our English translation says he counts everything as rubbish. Rubbish sounds fancier than garbage, but that's what it means, garbage. But it's harsher, it's actually dirtier in the Greek. It doesn't mean just garbage, it means a pile of dung, human excrement, spoiled, rotten food. And Paul is saying my education, my theology, my passion for God, my holiness, my godliness, my reputation, influence, everything that this world praises and envies is nothing more than rotten food with maggots or human dung compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. For Paul, it's all about Jesus. For Paul, the gospel is all about Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus only his perfect resume, only Jesus' perfect life and death and resurrection, only his righteousness plus nothing that makes the gospel good, good news. You see, for Paul, understanding what the gospel really is about, there was nothing better than knowing Jesus. No prestige, power, performance that could even come close to the worth of knowing Christ. All the resume, the credentials, the achievements that Paul once banked his life upon, compared to the beauty of Jesus and what he offers freely in the gospel, became worse than worthless. Not just secondary, but nothing. Worthless garbage because he's found something infinitely more valuable than anything he can gain from this world and as a believer who knows the gospel church dear brothers and sisters who's been a christian for many many years perhaps can you also say with all your heart that is jesus plus nothing that all your work accomplishments that all the money you saved up in your bank accounts, all the accolades your kids can bring from their sports and their studies, all the influence and reputation you've built step by step, all the respect and applause you gain by serving in the church, everything that is good in your life, can you consider that as absolute scuba-like garbage, human excrement, dung, compared to who Jesus is and what he promises and has already given to you? Or do you still want Jesus plus 
just a little bit more of what I can bring. Pastor Jerry Wilson asked a similar question before we go into our last point. If you are a Christian but bored, maybe you need to lose something. You cannot just add Jesus to an already crowded life. So what do you need to offload so that your heart can feel the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? And do not stop offloading until that sense of privilege in Jesus really starts to percolate. When our hearts thrill to his surpassing worth, the world loses its appeal. Brings us to our final point, what the gospel means for you. At this point, church, you might wonder, Paul, I know in my head that it should be Jesus plus nothing. I know in my head that I should count everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. I already know, but it's so hard. I know that if I count everything as lost, I'll gain Christ. But how? Is it really true? Is it for me? And I'm right there with you, friends. I need just as much of a reminder as you do to know that this is true for me. And our God is gracious enough to show you that here in our passage. So before we close, three things that you gain once you count everything as loss. What the gospel means for you. First, being found. Let's read verse 9 one more time. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Friends, the very first thing that the good news, the gospel declares to you and promises to you is that you are found in Christ. Not that you have found Christ as the solution to your sins and the mess of your life. Not that you have searched around the world and finally stumbled upon Jesus as the answer as your Savior. But Paul makes it crystal clear in the passive tense, you are found in him. Nothing you've done to look for him, but you are found in him. In a more theological term, this is what we call justification. An act of God's free grace where God forgives you of all your sins, accepts you as righteous in his sight, only for his righteousness to be counted as yours by faith alone. In other words, the gospel declares to you this morning that Jesus received the curse, the punishment, the wrath, the condemnation that you deserved, that I deserve because of my sins, and as an exchange, you receive God's complete approval and perfect obedience that Jesus deserved. No matter how prestigious, how godly, how churchy, how Christian-y, how powerful and rich you might think you are, how morally good you think you are, Compared to the holiness of God, you are all boasting in this dirty, filthy rag and saying, look how clean my filthy rag is compared to yours. But Jesus, in the gospel of his grace, he takes off his pure white robe, gives it to you to wear, and he says, give me your rag. All you have to do is surrender your self-reliance. Bring your empty, needy, broken hands and surrender and just be found in him. Rest in him. Rely on him. And then and only then will you be what you could never be apart from Jesus, fully exposed and known, but fully loved 
forgiven and accepted. Something that nothing this world could ever compare or dare to match. You can stop searching for where you can be accepted, where you can finally belong, where you can freely be yourself without being judged or criticized, where you can feel truly loved. You are found in Jesus, not for what you bring to the table, but for what he offers to you in his grace and his mercy. Because your sins are fully known. Your mess is finally exposed. But he still fully accepts, fully forgives, and fully loves. Second thing you gain <clears throat> from the gospel is that you know Christ. And you know his power of resurrection. And you share in his suffering. Read with me verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his, his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. If being found is justification, here in our verse 10, in theological term, is your sanctification. God working in your life and on your life right now to make you more like him. Listen to what the late Tim Keller says. Religious people, that's you and me, are very busy in their religion doing lots of religious activities. And then they expect their lives to go the way they want them to go. And if they find their career or their love life isn't going very well, they say, what good is all this religion? I'm doing all these things. Where's God? But what a Christian says is, if trouble in my love life has helped me to know Christ, if a lack of success in my career helps me know him better than great, I count it all as rubbish because the surpassing thing is to know him. Dear church, once you know Jesus and the power of his resurrection that your Savior has walked through the tribulations of this world, cried real tears in his flesh, he suffered, he was crucified, he died and rose again victorious over sin and death. You can be afflicted in every way possible. Cancer, illness, death of your family, fire from your job, brink of divorce, overwhelming doubts about your faith, depression, anxiety attacks, you name it. You can be afflicted but not crushed. You can be perplexed but not driven to despair. You can be persecuted but never forgotten or forsaken. You can be struck down but never destroyed. Because the same Jesus who has justified you and found you is the same Jesus who will walk with you to the finish line, no matter the ups and downs of your life. Because Jesus became the man of sorrow, the suffering servant, the gospel declares and promises to you, church, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If he loved you when you were guilty and sinful and self-reliant and self-dependent, how much more will he love you now and hold on to you now that you are already found and justified no matter what you're going through? Where your pain and suffering, church, becomes too much to bear, hear this. The gospel says that is where Jesus draws closer to you than any other, any time ever. And he says, I'm right here in the fire with you, 
I'm right there in the valley of the shadow of death with you. My grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's something that this world can't give you. This world may give you some sort of Tylenol for your headaches and the Advils for the problems at home and at work, but no amount of money, prestige, power can ever give you the complete cure for the brokenness, the cure for your death, for your sins. And if you count all things as rubbish, as lost for the sake of Christ, you gain the power to endure, the power to push through, the power to persevere and hope and hold on on this side of glory as you know him and the power of his resurrection and you share in his sufferings. As Kent Hughes says, the power of Christ's resurrection first provides the strength and motivation for suffering. And last but not least, you attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what verse 11 says, that the last thing you gain What the gospel means for you, church, when you count all things as lost for the sake of Christ, is you have the same resurrection as Jesus. In other words, glorification, to put in theological term, friends, the same God who fulfills your deep desire to be belong and have approval, the same God who gives you the deep comfort and peace even in the midst of your suffering is the same God who gives you the joy of knowing that this suffering life is not your end. And when you and I attain this resurrection from the dead, do you know what that means for you personally today? It means that you and I are going to have perfect rest from all the junk of your life. In this restless life that you and I journey through, looking for joy, once you count everything as lost for the sake of Christ, he promises you that one day, you will one day rest from all your doubts and fears and anxiety that keeps you up at night. One day, You will rest from all the temptations from the enemy, from the world, and from your flesh. One day you will rest from all abuse, persecution, injustices of this world. One day from all your conflicts, broken relationships, tensions, divisions right here in the church, you will one day rest from all your sadness and depression and the dark clouds that overwhelm and hover over your heads. You will one day rest from your personal sufferings and pain and grief and burdens that you're carrying now. But more than this perfect rest, you're going to have him. All the rest that is promised to you means nothing if you don't have him. You can count all things as lost on this side of glory because you have everything to gain in the promise that you will be with Jesus closer than you can ever imagine. With the one who found you, with the one who gives you the power of his resurrection to share in his suffering, with the one who perfectly loves you, who loves you 10,000 times more than you could ever perfectly love him, even when you've been living a life to earn his love. He already and is and will love you perfectly. Where he's eagerly waiting to run out and greet you, welcome you, and wipe away all the tears that he's stored up for you in heaven, Being with Jesus, in the end, will be worth infinitely more than anything you can ever have or experience in this life. How good is that good news? I want to close with a sermon illustration that I heard from Pastor Alistair Beck, and it's really shaped and touched me 
in my heart in ways that I could go on and sharing about. But he's talking about the two thieves on the cross. Remember the two thieves in the Gospel of Luke? And Jesus is in the middle. The thief, they both mocked him, remember? But one of them, he asked, Lord, can I go with you? And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So Alistair Beck makes this hypothetical story and he goes, imagine he died on the cross. He goes to the gates of heaven and there's an angel standing by the gate. And he says, how did you get here? I just saw you mock Jesus. And he goes, I don't know. And the angel asks, were you even a member of your local church? No. Do you know the doctrine of justification? No. How did you get here? I don't know. Well, do you at least tithe every week? No, what's that? Do you serve on the praise team, on the youth ministry, kids ministry? No. Well, the angel's fed up and he goes, then what basis, on what basis are you here? And he says, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Church, our natural tendency is to reply that same question with the first person pronoun, I. I can come because I believed, because I put my faith, because I trusted, because I went to church, because I gave. But the only correct answer is the third person, he. He said, I can come. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Because he, because Jesus, the secret to your joy and the journey called life, friends, is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So for both the believers and the unbelievers and the skeptics in this room, do you want joy not only in the highs of your life but even in the lows, even in the rock bottoms? Do you want joy that can't be extinguished even in your sufferings? Do you want joy that can't be robbed by your sin and your doubts? Do you want joy that nothing that you build your life upon, nothing you hold so dearly can ever, ever give you? Take your eyes off of yourself. Take your eyes off of your good works, your good moral standards, your circumstances, your success, and stop believing the false subtle gospel that you can somehow earn God's love just a little bit more. That you can somehow make God love you a little bit more by what you bring because that will only lead to your despair, the opposite of joy. And instead, look to Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him as your all, as your best, as your joy, as your righteousness, and you will experience day by day, slowly but surely, how your heart transforms to, to start counting everything as rubbish, everything as loss, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord and my Lord and our Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news. That every Sunday as we gather here, we try to look our best Sunday best. We try to clean up all the junk in our hearts before we step in to the parking lot of this church. We try so hard to mask all the dirty, messy, evil sins in our hearts when we talk to different members of this church. But Father, we are foolish. We are like dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. 
when we keep thinking it's Jesus plus anything we have to offer. So God, I pray for every single person in this room that you would open up the eyes of our hearts to see your beauty, to gaze upon what you have already promised to us, that we are found in you, that we have your power of resurrection, that we will one day be with you face to face. And may that be enough. May that be enough to count all things as rubbish, everything as lost for the gain that we have in you. So remind us of this and re-remind us of this good news. We thank you for all of this in Christ's name.